Welcome to episode one of Sp- The Spirit of Star Wars, where we talk all things Star Wars and Mormonism or spirituality. I'm joined by Tenawan and Slaya Organa. I am Premortal Kenobi. Today, we are, tonight, we are kicking off this episode with a review of where it all began. I mean, kind of. We're starting with episode From a one. Point of view. Get mad at us about. Yeah, I mean, get mad at us about what order we should watch the movies, but we're starting at the beginning of, of chronological timeline. Um, we're calling this our Searstone viewing. We're going to be p- putting on our peeping hats <laughs> and figuring out all the nice nitty-gritty details. <laughs> no, no not too much? No, no, it's good. Keep going. <laughs> we we got to go full Mormon on this. <laughs> As if our audience wasn't niche enough. This is it. Like you said, we just got to lean into it. There's yeah, so many Star Wars honestly. podcasts, but I have never seen one that's a Mormon Star Wars podcast. Which is kind of surprising. All right. Yeah. All, all 50 of the people that are Twitter followers, Star Wars fans, and super weird Mormons, this is for you. That's it. The Phantom Menace, Tenawan. It looked like you were procrastinating and you watched this. T- I've been today. very busy this whole week. Um, but yes, I did watch <laughs> this one today. So maybe you're the freshest. What are your what are your what are your fresh okay, takes? Here's my. This is something that um, Slaya and I have talked a lot about. Uh, that this one gets a lot of hate, specifically. Um, young Jake Lloyd got a lot of hate, and uh, Ahmed Best got a lot of hate, and it's not deserved because this is a stellar Star Wars movie. Like, I think for me, one of the most powerful scenes in all of Star Wars. Um, is when Anakin is talking to his mom. He's like, I can't do it. And she's like, hey, no, you know, you gotta, you gotta get out of here, dude. Like, you can have a better life. Now go and don't look. And then the music swells and like, I'm, ah, oh, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. That scene for me is up there with like binary sunset on like how important that is to me. Um, and as well, just like, Qui-Gon's great, young Obi-Wan's great, Darth Maul's great. You know, uh, watching Palpatine right from the beginning of just manipulating everything uh, is very, I don't know, Getty Anton Robber-esque, you know, like so he's mm. just in charge. Mm. Oh, Good it's reference. So, it's so there, all of it. But people don't like politics or something, I guess, and they don't like Jar Jar. I don't know, dude. I never hated Jar Jar. I was a kid. What do I know? Yeah, I mean, that's the funny... Like, Star Wars movies are number one kid movies. I think people get so up in arms, like, why isn't this more serious? And why isn't this more Zack Snyder? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that many people are really saying that. But, but I mean, I watched it with my six-year-old and my four-year-old. And whenever Jar Jar was on screen, they of were course. grins. Right? Like, they were smiling. He's funny. I don't care for the poop jokes, you know, so, I like... Mean- I could Same, I could leave but... those, but overall not that bad. We're kind of jumping all around, but hey, random observation. I feel like Qui Gon was kind of secretly not secretly, but kind of like oh, I don't want to use the wrong word there because it could be weird. But like he was kind of training Jar Jar. Like every significant scene Jar Jar was at, especially on Tatooine. Like he brought Jar, like Jar Jar happened to be there while he was negotiating for Anakin. He brought him in when he was negotiating for the pod racer. Um, he obviously didn't take him to like the Jedi council. He was there for like the war planning. Um, 
I mean, it, it would it's very subvert, but like maybe Qui-Gon saw a little more in Jar Jar and was like, hey, I need to show him that a little bit of the real world, so to speak. Don't know. Just a random observation. That That's an interesting thought, though. I mean, I'm tr- sitting here trying to think of a reason why that might be the case. And maybe this is giving Qui-Gon too much credit. I don't know. But there is the the cons- the political consequence at the end of the film ignoring like the long-term consequences with Palpatine obviously are that the why am I blanking on his his species Gungan. Jar Jar is a, a Gungan. Gungan. the Gungans yes so the at the beginning of the movie the Gungans and the Naboo are not necessarily enemies but definitely not really on speaking terms and they're not friendly at all and they don't have it seems like they don't have representation in the Republic they're just kind of their own mm. thing and so I mean, the end consequence is pretty good, I think, that they make Jar Jar a representative with Padme so that then the Gungans are also like having their voice be yeah. heard. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like it or not, it's because it's because of Jar Jar that they're able to bring them together and their whole plan at the end of the third, the third act is pulled off. And then Jar Jar goes on to become a senator, which we haven't gotten to episode two, Darth Jar Jar theories. We can all we can, we yeah. can get on that later, well, but... That was just a random well, observation. Something else Jar that Jar I noticed Quattin. about Jar Jar is like people make fun of him mostly, um, honestly, for the same reason that like in universe he's made fun of because he's clumsy, but also like because he talks funny, and uh, it's like these, I you know nobody knew, as far as I'm aware in canon we don't know where humans come from in the Star Wars universe. Like there's not like one home planet of humans; they're just kind of everywhere, right? But the the Gungans yeah. are definitely natives to Naboo. And so, you know, these natives don't have representation in the Galactic Senate. And uh, and they're kind of treated as like second-class citizens of Naboo. Um, and then because of this guy who speaks kind of funny and is a little bit clumsy, he's still important to the story. And then he's the one that unifies them, kind of like we said. But, like, I, I think sometimes we forget that, like, the the, the more serious stuff in the prequel trilogy is the political stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And then all the jokes are there to kind of balance it out. Like Jar Jar is very kind of heavy topics when you take it out of, you know, out of just kind of your regular view. And then the the humor is there to kind of balance it out. I think. I can't believe just you saying this. It never occurred to me before that um, it like, it seems to be that humans probably were from somewhere and then have just like spread out across different planets and so it didn't occur to me that the gungans it was probably their planet first i i didn't realize that until i started saying that actually so i'm glad i'm not the only one but um also i think on the point of like qui-gon and jar jar i think it's somewhere in like a novelization or like an interview or something that i've talked but like um qui-gon was showing obi-wan a lesson in empathy, which is not really something that the Jedi like. They talk big on empathy, but then they they practice it not very well, except for Qui Gon. Qui Gon's pretty good about it because he's like he didn't have to go out of his way to save Jar Jar from being punished by the Gungan Council, but he did, and he brought Jar Jar along. And yeah, like he he brought him along to all those important things, kind of showing him things because Jar Jar had been in exile like his whole life. Nobody liked him. But then Qui-Gon shows up and doesn't really like him either. But is like, no, he deserves a place in here because he has 
like what happens directly impacts Jar Jar. What happens in the galaxy impacts everybody, not just the super serious warrior monks and senators and stuff like that. It, it affects everybody. So everybody kind of in the spirit of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Like women belonging everywhere that decision-making is happening. Everybody kind of belongs somewhere where decision-making is happening because it influences everybody. Can't say I've ever thought this much about Jar Jar. (laughs) What can I say? I'm a Jar Jar stand. It's funny though, because I, um, listen, I watched The Phantom Menace, not today and not this week, but like, a month ago because i watched it with a friend for the first time and i figured that was (laughs) but listen i did i listened to the audiobook of the novelization this week because i knew i wasn't going to have time to watch the movie again and i have my reading notes like reading watch notes from when i watched it with my friend so we're good but (laughs) i was Anyway, point of that is that I watched it with this friend who knew absolutely nothing about Star Wars. I think he had seen, for some reason, he'd seen The Force Awakens and then nothing else. (laughs) And he liked Jar Jar. I mean, he made some comments of like, kind of same thing we were saying, that the, the poo jokes are a little unnecessary, but whatever, it's for kids. And everybody has the same hot take that there's probably some weird racial stereotyping going on with the way that they characterized him but he still liked him he thought he was funny i think that the hatred for jar jar is more like learned than it is actually naturally developed um but an interesting note on the the point of the the commentary about jar jar's jar jar being kind of a racist caricature sometimes in the original script for phantom menace there was actually more like overt racism against gungans written in which i can't decide if that would make it better or worse <laughs> yeah. uh for that yeah it's a little i don't it's it'd it's be a better if they addressed it more than just yeah I don't it, know. yeah but i'm glad I'm glad that they didn't do it the way that they were originally planning, at least, because in the original script, um, uh, Padme or uh, Queen Amidala, I guess, but same thing. Yeah. Kind of. um, <laughs> the queen doesn't like him and doesn't want him to be in the main compartment with them, like because he's a Dungan. A, a Dungan. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. The queen doesn't want him to be in the main kind of compartment with everybody else not because he's like clumsier and gonna get in the way or anything but because he's a gungan and she doesn't like gungans um so i'm i'm glad for the characterization of padme that they changed yeah. that but it would have been interesting i to see more of that more explicitly to be fair, she'd be 14 uh, just that she was 14 and so like that could have been an interesting like she was brought up learning that gungans were this or that or the other thing and then as she experienced being around Gungans, she is like, oh, uh, I was wrong. And our whole culture could really stand some growth here. Yeah, and that, that would make her appeal to the boss, Boss Nass, that much more oh, powerful yeah. when she does say, yeah, we need you. Because that's a cool moment. So greater than the Gungans. Um, okay, probably enough Jar Jar for a while. <laughs> Some people are never going to listen to another episode of this podcast again because we started with Jar Jar. 
we started we started pretty hot, but that's okay. We did. It's fine. Hot we, will, home. we can forget about them for a bit, but if we ever talk more about Clone Wars, I don't know. There's a lot of Jar Jar. There. there is. When um I I bullied my dad into watching Clone Wars finally, <laughs> and he loved almost all of it. But when he got to the episode where Jar Jar gets a girlfriend, <laughs> he was like mad at me for not telling him not to watch that episode. <laughs> I told him to skip stuff with Jar Jar if he wasn't interested. Like I told him, if you're gonna skip anything, like. Watch everything, but if you're going to skip stuff, it's the episodes about Jar Jar and about C3PO. Yeah, and he didn't they listen. Are, they are a little filler. He wanted to watch every episode, <laughs> and I mean, he'll be mad at you for that. I know he should have listened. He learned his lesson. Yeah. But anyway, moving on from yeah. Jar Jar. Okay, random random observation from the first bit of the film: they're sending in Jedi to act as ambassadors to resolve this situation. Now, I know there's a bit more explored and I think what they're now non-canon books about like what the Jedi actually do, but that's like a very political thing. Like later, later it feels like the Jedi are trying to stay out of politics and maybe they are very much a neutral party, but they're going in to solve political situations. And I'm like, so do they get political training? I mean, we know how to throw a lightsaber around and all that jazz and we know how to be meditating. Aggressive negotiation. Aggressive negotiation. Um, so, right, right. Oh, go yeah, ahead. It, yeah, I was just going to say that I think when I go a long time without watching The Phantom Menace, I, I get this idea in my head that the Jedi Order wasn't militarized until Attack of the Clones. But watching it this time, that, that really isn't true. I mean, they already are like... They weren't involved in a galaxy-wide war yet, but they were already operating much more like a military during like non-war times than they were like secluded monks, like they're supposedly meant to be. Because the toy, Toydarians? No, not Toydarians. The uh, what are the what is the race of the bad guys? The Nemodians. The Nemodians. They're terrified like when they show up. They're like, "Oh crap, we're done. Like this is it." They're, the Jedi are here. Pack up. Oh wait, maybe we. And then they'd get the order to kill them. Um, but yeah, like how much political and just otherwise clout and power does the Jedi Council weigh that two random dudes showing up means party over? Maybe this is too spicy for the first episode. All right, um, <laughs> bring on the hot take. We're talking about you know religious organizations, religious organizations that are politically neutral, but most assuredly not politically neutral. I mean. I can think of a couple things. I have on my notes that to talk about. I mean, it's kind of the theme of episode one, two, and three, in my opinion. But like, are the Jedi actually the good guys? Is the Jedi Council actually good, or like, does it function as it should? I think that's like at the core of this question. And you know, in case it wasn't obvious, yeah. dear listeners, we're talking about the Church right now. <laughs> The Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. Yeah, it's, is, the, it, it, you know. is it? It is a stand-in, yeah. and I think in a lot of ways, for the Jedi Order. There's so many ways that the Jedi Order and the LDS Church are similar. It it kind of blows me away every time I watch it and I think of something new. And it is amusing to me, then, that 
um, like my interpretation of things in Star Wars is probably so wildly different from people that don't have a Mormon background because they're not projecting all of this stuff onto it. But I think there's probably also like, we'll, we'll know, get listen, there. We'll get to that at some point. <laughs> there's a lot there. I have some thoughts. Well, really quick, just on that, I like I think Anakin is a great example um, of like. Shmi kind of sent him off on a mission where we don't give kids coping skills. We, these are high intense situations. We just kind of expect them to just do it. And I like, I love my mission and I'm very grateful that I was able to serve a mission for the church. And I, I met wonderful people and I like, but, and I don't think Anakin would say that he regrets learning how to use the force and how to wield a lightsaber. Like he was able to do a lot of good, but also the way that the Jedi Order handles that is so wrong. And, um, and I think sometimes, like, right, right after I came home from my mission is when the church changed the policy about um, missionaries being able to, like, call their families. I think, I think they can call them, like, every P-Day now, right? I don't know. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah it that's weak now. Uh, like, it may not seem a huge deal, but that's a huge deal. Um, like if Anakin could just talk to his mom all the time and not have to wait 10 years until he finds her on her deathbed, I think he probably wouldn't have turned into Darth Vader. I genuinely think that if he was able to speak with his mother, that's a hot take, but I can see it. Like, I don't know for sure because Palpatine is Palpatine and he's very manipulative and evil, but like Skywalker is Mm -hmm. a very pure soul and she was a great mother. So I don't know. I just think, and you can see in this movie that no, just uh, you can you can see at the beginning of Phantom Menace, or I guess you can see through all of Phantom Menace that Anakin really did take after her. I mean, in this movie, he's just so pure of heart and just only wants to do good things. Um, And then to see what happens after, I think I probably agree with you that if he had had a continued influence from his mother, that things would have turned out really he differently. Said, oh, and I'll just yeah. second that, I guess, of like, no, just I'll, I'll second what you were saying about, uh, about missions that I'm sure Anakin leaving his mother there was incredibly isolating because I know it was super isolating for me going on a mission and not being able to talk to my family. And I think, I think my, I have more mixed feelings about my mission than, either of you two probably do um, for a number of reasons. But uh, if I had been out when the policy had already changed and I could have talked to my family, I think that it would have been a much more positive experience. Yeah. I mean, and not, you know, shameless plug. I did write a little bit of a blog we'll get more into it. And when we go to episode three about the Jedi's insistence on lack of attachment which is kind of what we're getting at here. Like no, no <sighs> attachment of any kind romantic mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever that's kind of what pushed Anakin to the edge among other things. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so you know, even, even building on that, I had this lot written down, like he's in the council room, they're quizzing him uh, with flashcards. Right. And test is over. He passed and they're like, how do you feel? And he's like, well, I feel cold. And, you know, see through you, we do your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. And then they're like, no, that's bad. 
And it's like, come on, guys. He's nine years old. Like, what do you expect a nine-year-old kid to say yeah. right now? Yeah, there is a, a general trend with the Jedi Order of rather than acknowledging that certain feelings are, <laughs> I don't want to say human because that doesn't work in Star Wars, but I guess that's kind of the only word I can think of. Rather than acknowledging that they're natural and that you shouldn't be like ashamed of feeling that way, but that you shouldn't dwell on it or, yeah, you know what I mean? Like instead of giving coping skills, yep. it's just push it down, pretend you don't feel mm. it, ignore it. Whereas, and that's just, that's not a healthy way to go about life. No. And then on the flip side, you have the Sith. Not that we, you know, the Sith are still pretty underground in this movie, but theirs is the complete option. It's, it's your emotions are the only ones that matter. Take whatever you want. Your emotions give you strength. Uh, to dominate other people's emotions. And that's also completely unhealthy. And so I think kind of um, for uh, old, old man Kenobi over here, um, to answer one of your questions, I don't think that the Jedi are inherently the good guys. I, I don't think any organization in Star Wars is the good guys per se, at least in the prequel trilogy. We might be able to make different arguments for the original and sequel trilogy. Um, but I don't think any specific organization or group is the good guys. I think it's, everybody's all just kind of in varying degrees of moral ambiguity. You know, some people have good points about some things and some people don't, but overall both sides really have issues that they need to change. Absolutely agreed. Um, something that, you two might have seen that I was tweeting about with um, uh, Shake Shack Tea <laughs> this oh, yeah. week. But uh, I guess the, this is something you see more as like the Clone Wars series happens, but there's still a little bit of it with Phantom Menace. You have this weird thing where the uh, the Nemordians at this point, but then right becomes the, the Separatists. They're using a droid army, yeah. but they specifically use a droid army that they have programmed in with some level of like human emotion and, and fear. And depending on which medium you're in, sometimes it seems like they have a capacity to feel pain, which is super weird. Yeah. The fact that you're producing a droid army, presumably to avoid using living creatures, but then you give them kind of the downsides of using living soldiers that's super weird and it's an interesting parallel then obviously we're not there yet but it's an interesting parallel once you get to attack the clones that the republic is then using human soldiers that are programmed like droids and they're going up against a droid army that's programmed like humans absolutely and i did, I did see that thread and it's it's such an interesting thought and i think it's one of the many reasons why the Jedi lost, and I think, I think this might have been. Don't quote me on this, but this might have been in the novelization of Episode Three. Again, we're jumping all over the place, getting ourselves ahead of ourselves. But like, the Jedi lost the moment they joined the war. Like the dark side, quote unquote, won. Palpatine won the moment the Jedi joined the war because, yeah, I mean, like, what a what a weird way to have an army like and we're just okay with it of coming out of nowhere and you know all these other things and then yeah it's 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 droids against droids it's autonomous thinking self you know creatures uh, you know you're pitting against each other and just 
throwing away body and counts. Not even just in the war. Uh, about individual soldiers yep. or Jedi that are lost, but also civilian casualties and the impact that war is going to have on on everyone. Right? I think that 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 kind of let's see, like the kind of theological difference between Qui-Gon and the rest of the mm. Jedi Council uh, is kind of stated in Phantom Menace to be that he focuses more on the quote-unquote living force while the Order focuses more on the cosmic force. And from my understanding, what that means is that the Jedi Order is thinking more big picture and Qui-Gon pays more attention to individual persons and um, like more of the details. And I think you can see that then if in the way that the order approaches any kind of war like this, they're not thinking about the impact on individuals. They're just thinking about the big picture. Yeah. Like what do we, what do we do with clone troopers after the war? And what do we do with people like Ahsoka? Not that we're, not that we're in there yet. Um, if they don't want to be a Jedi anymore, where is their place in society? Or have we not allowed you know, as as the galaxy here in Star Wars, have we not allowed places for those people to exist? And the Jedi don't care. The Jedi are just here like, well, we serve the Senate. That's not good enough. Like, if people like Yoda can tell the clones you're individuals and stuff like that, like, the Jedi will tell these clones that you're individuals, you matter, you're different in the Force, you know, which is true. But then the Jedi are taking a back seat to all the politics in the galaxy just to make themselves safe. They're not really protecting anybody. They're not really keeping any peace. They're keeping the status quo. Yeah, and, and bringing this somewhat full circle, kind of back to our original point, you know, I, I forgot that this was in here, and it's interesting that the Jedi apparently were sent by the Chancellor, and when they arrive back on Coruscant, they report to the Chancellor first and then say to the Chancellor, hey, we need to talk to the Council. And it's like, should, shouldn't that have been the other way around? Um, the other thing I think is interesting is, uh-huh. and again, we keep skipping ahead in movies, but all these, you know, ring theory, it's all interconnected. Um, uh, you know, Obi-Wan later says, like, you know, I serve the Republic. I serve this. We serve the Senate. I serve democracy. And it's like, well, why do you serve the Senate? Doesn't the Jedi have a code and it's about order, peace, harmony and justice? So, like, where does the Senate play into that? Like maybe the Senate's a convenient vehicle because it's the governing body to maybe achieve those goals, but maybe not. And I think, and I, I kind of found this one surprising too. You listen to Senator Palpatine. Um, I even wrote down this quote. The Republic uh, isn't what it once was. Uh, well, I'm paraphrasing now, but the greedy squabbling bureaucrats. It's like, obviously he's trying to take over. And so he's a cynic about the whole thing anyway, but like, Anybody sharing that with Padme, who mm-hmm. kind of espouses that view in episode two and three, that the Senate is not an effective governing body, that it's full of corruption and bureaucracy. And this is 20 years before the Clone Wars, right? That's the body that the Jedi are serving? Kind of weird. And then, so this actually brings uh, kind of, I can segue here into one of the questions that I had. Um, what makes a Jedi? That is the question, my friend. Because Obi-Wan is all like, you know, well, the boy is dangerous. The council said so. 
And Qui-Gon says, I will do what I must, Obi-Wan. I will make sure that this kid's a Jedi. Obi-Wan says, don't defy the council. Not again, right? Let's, let's follow these thoughts through to completion. If Qui-Gon decides, no, I'm going to train this kid no matter what, and the Jedi Council is like, well, you're expelled from the Jedi Order, what are they going to do? Like, what, what are they going to do, you know? You're not a Jedi is, anymore? Is Qui-Gon just like, going to be like... obviously teaching him the Jedi way. Yeah, he's teaching him how to access the Force, how to use a lightsaber, you know, like, these things, like, what really makes a Jedi? And that's that's what got me thinking, because is, is being a Jedi okay, so... part of being the religious organization that serves the Republic... Or is being a Jedi serving the Force? Man, that's that that is that is that is the bombad question. That is the that's the one right there. Love this question. Wait, before before we go into it, I do want to I want to grab one little piece okay. from what you said because I wrote it down when I was when I was watching. The Jedi Council thinks Anakin is dangerous and therefore shouldn't be trained because they say this because his future is uncertain. AKA they can't control him. Yep. Yep. And I was like, what? What is wrong with these bozos? I mean, we love Yoda, right? I mean, he's, you know, he cute grows. and That's wise, whatever, it was, but it's like. Is Obi-Wan and Yoda are the only two Jedi that really grow? And so they're the only ones of the council, anyway, that survive the purge. You're right. I mean, Yoda is able to you know, see the error of his ways, so to speak, by the end of three, and then regrow through, presumably, in between, and so on. A little bit, a little bit in the Clone Wars, he's like, you know, I'm not so sure that... This was the right thing. We are doing the right thing by being yep. in this war. But he's like the only one that's yeah. thinking that. Yeah. And Obi-Wan is just... Obi-Wan, kind of by virtue of just being close to Anakin... And seeing that Anakin is at heart a good person changes a little bit. But the rest of the council doesn't change at all. And I mean, again, we're going a little bit off topic, but like, and if you look to Legends, if you look to the video games, like, the Jedi have had this problem before yeah. in the Mandalorian Wars. Like, that's how Revan became a thing, was because yeah. either the Jedi didn't want to act, or then they acted too much, and there was too much bloodshed. Like, get it together, guys. <laughs> You've had thousands of years to figure it out. For real. Thousands of years and the connection to the Force. It's the Nephite pride cycle. <laughs> it truly is. It's been, what, almost 200 years since the Restoration? Come on. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> Jedi of the Nephite. I, I love this question, though. I guess kind of going back a little bit to the original yes. point. Because I think... I think that different characters in this movie would answer that question differently. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, we can only really see how the council and then our main characters would. So it's entirely possible that there are other Jedi that aren't part of the council that have a bit more of a nuanced take. I know in legends, some of them do, mm -hmm. but within this movie, I think Qui-Gon would put it more on an individual level, but Obi-Wan is pretty orthodox yeah. i guess that, that's uh, a good word is the best word for yeah. it and i think so i think he would answer it as following the advice of the council whereas qui-gon would answer it as following like the will of the promptings from the force yeah. right yeah. That, that the hard thing about this question is that we don't really have a good idea 
canon wise of what it means to be a Jedi. The 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 code exists, which that's the funny thing about the Jedi code. You look up, type, you know, search Jedi code, and it will be that you know seven liner stanza that, that thing that people like uh, to get. There is no, there is no whatever. There, yeah. you know, there is peace. And I did a little blog on it. Anyway, that's presumably the Jedi code. And yet there's also a Jedi code that mentions can't have more than one apprentice. Um, can't train over X age, you know, but we have no idea what or where that code is. Scriptures versus handbook. And who, who came up with it. So like, what is your measure of a Jedi? If the measure of the Jedi is just the poet, and I'm gonna search it right now. Jedi code. Now look at this right here. All right, here we go, here we go. There is no emotion, there is peace. There is no ignorance, there is knowledge. There is no passion, there is serenity. There is no chaos, there is harmony. There is no death, there is the source. And look, I'm in, you know? Throw that in a, in a psalm, throw that in, you know, Book of Helaman, fits right in, it's great. Yeah. Nowhere in there is it talking about apprentices, fear, um, recruiting little kids, uh, lack of connection, uh, don't build personal relationships. What is this other Jedi code that everybody's like, well, we can't do that. It's against the code that apparently is making all the Jedi total jerks. Guess how far Mm. (laughs) Jedi. Yeah. The problem isn't the doctrine. It's the culture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I guess how far do you take the, the, How far do you take the part of no emotion, though, I guess? Does that mean no extremes of emotion? Or does it mean what the Jedi Council seems to be interpreting it as, as largely no emotion at all? So in this watch through this time, something that I was uh, particularly looking for was like in-movie references to the differences of like theological opinion between Qui-Gon and the Order. Because I feel like it would be really easy without outside sources like the like expanded universe and some of the new canon stuff as well. It would be really easy to watch Phantom Menace and come away thinking that all of their disagreements are just about procedure and policy rather than being like philosophical differences. Um, but this time through, one thing that occurred to me that I think is a pretty significant difference in terms of theology and that probably impacts not probably does impact pretty heavily the treatment that Anakin gets between the two is that I think that they disagree on what it means to bring balance to the force because like it that didn't occur to me until this watch through that um the count the council and hold on So like the council pretty clearly thinks that the role of the chosen one is going to be to destroy all of the Sith, right? That's what Obi-Wan claims it is. um, And he being pretty orthodox should reflect the view of the council, at least pretty close. Um, And you can also see that like the order can't, like the council can't have changed their mind on the things that they said made Anakin too dangerous to train because none of those things changed. But what did change is that when they first were talking to him, they weren't really aware that the Sith weren't extinct. Like they'd they'd seen Maul, but they didn't really understand yet what he was. 
So by, at the end of the movie, they accept him into the order. And I think that the reason that they changed their mind is because at first, Qui-Gon is saying, hey, this kid is the, is the chosen one. He's going to bring balance to the Force. And they're thinking the Force is already in balance because the Sith are all gone, because balance means that there's only Jedi. But Qui-Gon clearly can't think that because he's talking about Anakin bringing balance to the Force before they are even aware that there are still Sith around. So he must believe that it's already out of balance. So, like, that kind of strikes me. Leia, you nailed it. You (laughs) nailed it. So I guess the question that I wanted to ask you guys with that was, it's like, I can tell what the Council must think balance means. but And I can tell that Qui-Gon disagrees with that but I'm not sure that I know what he thinks it actually is. Um, And I'm wondering if you guys have any opinions on that, both what like either what he thinks it is or what we think it is maybe. Um, And just one kind of on that, I guess, just as a, a reframing, if you're thinking of the chosen one, the way that the council probably is, it makes him more like, like it makes Anakin more like like a savior kind of figure. But if you're thinking about it more like Qui-Gon, my, intu- like my intuition of what Qui-Gon might be thinking kind of goes along with a couple of the things we said toward the beginning. So if you, f- instead of framing the Jedi versus the Sith as just being like good versus evil, I mean, clearly one side is pretty evil, but... If you instead look at their kind of philosophies of the Jedi being trying to be emotionless and the Sith being total passion, then you could theoretically frame balance in the force as being acknowledging your emotions, but not being driven by them. Or you could also do it in kind of a, a D and D of uh, good versus or yeah, good versus evil on that on many people's definition isn't actually good versus evil. It's just like, it's like self-serving versus selfless. You could also frame it that way. And then there's a debate of if it's balance within the individual or if the goal is balance in the universe or in an institution. And if you frame it as balance within the institution, then you could frame Anakin then not as like a savior figure, but as a reformer or even a like a the prophet of a restoration has uh to put it in mormon terms i was just gonna say the same thing is anakin jesus or is he joseph smith exactly (laughs) maybe he was meant to be joseph smith and the council decided he was meant to be jesus and that's what messed it up they just don't give us enough of qui-gon and i mean that both in terms of time just that they kill him off in the first movie and uh enough of a perspective into into his views on things right yeah. we really only know that he disagrees with the council we don't know what his actual thoughts are hey and like I think you're back yeah there you are is he back oh sweet good um but i was just gonna say obviously like i want more of that but i understand that your average star wars viewer probably doesn't want the series to just be an exploration of religious heterodoxy. (laughs) So like, I get why it's not there, but I miss it. Funny, funny thought on that. 
Slaya, is that I'd looked up just for kicks like screen time ratios. Qui Gon does have the most screen time of anybody in the movie. In Phantom Menace, or do you in mean Phantom Menace? Because I guess I mean he's almost entirely on screen every moment. Yeah, and so and this is this is a total tangent. I'm just going to throw it in there real quick. We love the prequels. We're prequel lovers here, but the prequels do have problems. And to me, one of the problems with both one, two, and kind of three, three is much less so, but definitely one and two, there is no main character. One, you could make the argument that Qui-Gon's the main character, but like the movie does not do a good job of making him the main character. Two, you could argue that Obi-Wan is, but again, doesn't do a good job of demonstrating. I mean, you could also argue that's Anakin, but like, uh, I don't know. And then three, it's probably Anakin, but yeah. Okay. Um, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how about this? Cause my wife's texting me and she's like, ah, oh, long podcast. Eh? Um, <laughs> so what if we take Slaya's question and do we just want to hit on it next time or do episode two and then go back and heal the question? I think we can do that. I think, some of that, honestly, maybe that could be like our overarching question for the entire prequel trilogy because, like, the prophecy of balance mm-hmm. is pretty much the entire thing of the prequel trilogy. And I think it plays into every single movie. So I think if we wanted to discuss it and how each movie plays into that question, I'm like, well, what is this movie trying to tell us what balance in the Force is or what do the characters think that balance in the Force is? I think we could do that with each movie. Love it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's something we can just track as we move along. And it's not even just a question for the prequel trilogy, but also making sense of what happens in the prequel trilogy with the original trilogy and the end of episode six uh, also plays into that. That's it for our first episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We know we're a little bit scatterbrained and we uh, hit on a lot of topics and a lot of Jar Jar love. Stick with us. We're going to be reviewing each of the movies over the next few weeks. Well, even maybe a few months. Uh, We're excited to be watching those movies through the lens of Mormonism. And as we discussed, uh, talk a little bit about prophecy, a little bit about balance, and about the light and dark. So we look forward to going on this journey together. If you have thoughts or questions that you want us to address on the podcast, shoot us a message. We are, of course, all on Twitter. I am Premortal Kenobi. We have Slaya Organa and Tenawan. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.